So do you still feel this sort of Holy Week exhaustion that I feel, even though it's like, it's, it's different than it usually is? It's, it's different, but, uh, but yeah, equally intense in some ways. Like this Holy Week, this is the first Holy Week, not that I'm exhausted, but it's the first Holy Week where I genuinely thought, is, am I going to get all this done? Mm-hmm. Like, is this actually going to, is this actually going to work? Yeah. I think a lot of people felt that way, even on, you know, various things that were going out for Easter vigil and Easter morning where I saw, you know, people worrying, is this going to upload in time? Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you're doing video stuff, that takes forever to process. It really does. It really, really does. I, uh, yeah. And especially, I mean, just to, export small video files if you're doing it in high def it can take an hour sometimes mm-hmm. yeah it was uh it was just it was wild it was a wild experience So I know that you did um, an Easter vigil that you, w- was that sort of the only thing that you pre-recorded? Yeah. Um, well, I take that back. We had pre-recorded music for some of the other services. So um, what we ended up doing is pre-recorded music for Palm Sunday. So just playing those over Zoom and Facebook Live um, at, at different points in the service. Uh, for Monday Thursday, I distributed an at-home write and uh, recorded. We had a couple of musical recordings, and I recorded like a brief sort of homily mm. and said, use these within the context of this liturgy or outside the context of this liturgy to, to enrich Monday Thursday. Mm-hmm. And then Good Friday, we had just music pre-recorded. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, and then the vigil was all pre-recorded because we had basically as many people as involved as we could. Okay. So with your vigil, um, what was your, what was your turnaround time like between finishing the editing and, and the debut of the service online? So I finished editing, uh, late late friday night uh and and made and started the exporting process to actually no i fi- i take that back i finished exporting finished editing and exporting the video file and started the upload overnight on friday night okay so uh, so about so, 24 hours or so um yeah maybe a little less than 24 hours but yeah like close to um yeah so what do you think you'll do next (laughs) i uh i hadn't gotten there okay it's sort of it's i I mean it's sort of back to the status quo ante right like (laughs) um i i mean obviously not lent but uh, but I think most of the ways that we had been connecting as a community and worshiping as a community before Holy Week are likely to continue in, in you know, slightly modified form, of course. Right, right. Okay, so I, I just have so much, I have so much that's going through my head around all of this. And chief among all these thoughts is that this is just, this is, this is really terrible. I, I mean, I, I, the, the feeling that I have is sort of woe is me. And I have to keep that in perspective. You know, I'm not ill. No one in my family is ill. I don't happen to know anyone yet that is ill with coronavirus. Um, so, I mean, it feels, it feels a little bit petty of me to, to be kind of wrapped up in my head around this stuff when the reason behind this is, is a very pressing concern for many people um both people who are infected with the virus and first responder first responders medical workers other essential personnel 
Um, so I want to keep all that in perspective, but I still want to, I still want to kind of delve in on how hard this is and how awkward yeah. this, and how awkward this feels. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's really hard to put into words, right? Mm-hmm. Because it is, it is the first time that literally everyone has been in uncharted territory, you know? And that's kind of that's kind of the equalizer in all this is that more or less we're all sort of in the same boat as far as what we can do. Yeah, um, but it, but it, it, the the interesting thing about it is that um, that he, while it could be a great equalizer in some ways it hasn't been, and what I mean by that is, I think I think everybody is just a little bit worried and anxious i i mean on multiple level levels obviously but particularly in a in work in worrying about their role as leaders of worship mm-hmm. um and as community leaders i think everybody's a little bit insecure right now because this is such uncharted waters in terms of how do we do this how do we hold everyone together how do we continue patterns of meaningful worship when we have to basically craft it out of whole cloth or develop it on the fly in some ways. And instead of an equalizer, it makes, it can make everything feel like judgment. Like, so when you see what someone else is doing, it feels like a judgment on what you've decided to do. That's different. Right. That's one of the, that's one of the things that I've noticed anyway. Right. Well, and that's, that's part of this too, isn't it? That, you know, um, my parish is putting far more online than we ever have. And the same is true for the church down the road. So it's sort of like for the first time, we can be far more aware of the nitty gritty of what's going on at a liturgical level. But that's not even really a good place to look because all of this is so different anyway. You know, yeah. why would you, I mean, the, one of the, one of the biggest things that I've noticed is such and such church really has a way higher def camera set up than we do. And that's, uh, that's, um, well, anyway, that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, to a large degree, it just really doesn't right now. Um, I, I think that, I mean, depending on how long this lasts, maybe maybe people will eventually get used to the idea of church shopping online more than they have. But I think at this point, what people are craving more than anything is their community. So they right. haven't been like, I mean, yeah, occasionally they'll turn on Washington National Cathedral to really engage in their music or, you know, something like that. Um, because they have really high production value in terms of what they can put together in, in video. But I, I, we at least have had consistent engagement with the people here in this community who want to feel connected still to the community that they're a part of, rather than just dropping off and, and going to see Washington National Cathedral's worship or uh, Grace Cathedral, San Francisco, or, you know, insert whatever parish of choice. Yeah. And that seems really important to me that the, your connection with your parish priest would continue in as, in as much a way as it can, you know, depending on what, um, each, each individual parish is able to provide. But there are also those sort of, um, those sort of backstops, right? So if, if a parish finds that it's sort of limited in what it can provide electronically, that it can point people to the diocese, at least in, in this diocese, that was the case um, yeah. for Easter Day. And, um, or for, I should say, for a number of occasions uh, in Holy Week. Um, and then beyond that, like you mentioned, the National Cathedral has really claimed its role sort of as a church for Episcopalians and others across the nation. Just as a snapshot, I think on Easter Day, um, I was watching a bit of the service live and I think right at the moment I was watching, there were around 50,000 people tuned into that live stream. So that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good figure. Yeah. That's then, more than, that's more than I've had on Sundays. <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And then you mentioned production value. I mean, um, you think about 
the how much how much time and energy energy it took to create that virtual choir that yeah. sort of served as a, sort of an anthem um, during that service. Yeah, and and let me just state for the record, I hate using the term production value because this is not worship is not just a production. You know, well, it's not an entertainment well, production. But at hold, the same hold time, because I put put a bookmark in that because I want to come back to that point. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, it, it it does serve, I think, as sort of shorthand for what I'm trying to convey is that you can have a really good quality image where people can tell immediately everything that's going on where you can have professional sort of editing to make this look as good as possible. And some parishes and cathedrals have already been doing that for a while. Mm -hmm. So they, and and maybe have professional people on staff who that's their job. Mm -hmm. And this is what they, this is what they do. So, yeah, I mean, if, if, if that's what we have to do, if that's what everybody were looking for, then again, we wouldn't, we couldn't possibly, most parishes couldn't possibly compete with a place like Washington National Cathedral or, yeah, um, you know, any number of other uh, of other places. But, but like I say, I just don't, I, I don't think that's what that's what people are gravitating towards by and large that doesn't mean that those aren't getting a lot of views and that doesn't mean that those worship uh worship offerings that they have aren't feeding a whole lot of people but i don't think you have people migrating to washington national cathedral as their sole worshiping community in this time just because of quote-unquote production value yeah but it is something to consider though isn't it because um you know if, if you if you take away the electronic means, th- there's not really anything that separates the typical parish from the National Cathedral on a normal Sunday. Like there's a priest, there's a service, there's a congregation, there's music. So mm-hmm. you know you wouldn't you would not be attracted to the National Cathedral, e- even knowing that you could access some of it online. Um, this this has changed all that though, right? Because even if you can access your local parish through electronic means um you know i think for some people well let me just speak for myself because i would not really i would not really be tempted to tune into the national cathedral regularly i mean i i admire them i think they're doing um some interesting things i think the music is really good obviously the architecture is stunning um but just on a normal sunday like i would not be tempted to dial in the national cathedral webcast um, that's changed lately. <laughs> I mean, I am I am finding myself dialing it in more often than not, and I think the reason has to do with production value, is mm-hmm. because I feel like from for um, some of the some of the webcasts that I see, you know, there is a there is a feeling of limitation. I mean, you don't, and, and maybe it's not maybe it's not the production value itself. Maybe the difference is is that the National Cathedral is now one of the only places that you see people worshiping inside of a traditionally sacred space um, that so many of these have been relegated to people's homes um, in some cases outside the church building just sort of getting around that legalism of you can't go inside the church so they've, they've simply brought some of the church furnishings outside and done it that way um, I mean it, it is a weird it is a weird continuum of what's permitted and what's not kind of across the uh, across the church um but yeah what what is it that what is it that makes that difference for people i don't know and i think this medium of the computer is a really confusing one because yeah. I, th- I think when we do consume media on our computers we're used to seeing something that is incredibly high production value the other thing is we're also used to seeing something that is um entirely passive you know, yeah. m- most of the time when we're watching video on our computers, there's not anything that's expected of us. Um, so that's that's an element of this that's that's weird. And then uh, um, I admit to doing this too, but it, m- maybe it wasn't until my six-year-old son came over and did it for me that I realized what a difference this was. I was watching uh, a stream of something or other that was not live, but I I sort of wanted to approach it as if it was. And he came over and paused it for me <laughs> very helpfully. And, and, and that's, that's another difference in all this, right? That um, even if you're watching something live, you, at the click of a button, have the opportunity to leave it or to even suspend it, which I think is worse. So 
I don't know. I'm kind of ranting here, but uh, there, there, there's so much, there's so much about this stuff that's different. I don't even know where to begin. And so I guess I want to put all that aside for a minute and just, and just give you a totally different question. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> because I think, I think this will help us get at all the things that I just listed. I want to, I want to ask the question fundamentally. Uh, yeah. And I think this applies to everything we've talked about is what we're doing now worship. Can you still define what we're doing now as worship or is it something else? Is it a sort of paraliturgical audio video experience that we're trying to provide for people? Because remember, in all of these cases, there's no congregation physically present at, w- at what's being presented. It's, it is done entirely by audiovisual means and whether or not it's live, you know, m- maybe that's a part of that, but, but what would you, what would you say to that question? I, w- I would say absolutely it is. Um, now, I, I, I think that I think that you run into you potentially run into a gray area because if you get too focused on creating a very very finished product, and I'm not I don't mean to suggest that anyone is, and we've talked about Washington National Cathedral just because they're a good example of someone who has put together really clean, crisp worship, right? They are, but but let me say that they were doing that before this began. I mean, no, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and 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 so my, I'm not I'm not singling them out with my next comments, which are if you, or or even meaning to include them in any way in my next comments, which are if you get too focused on just the sort of end user experience, for lack of a better term, if you get too focused on how well this is going to play as a media file then then yeah maybe you've lost the thread of worship um but i i don't think that's where most most people at least that i've talked to are to me i think most people want to provide worship of god community and continuity and some sense of normalcy uh not necessarily in that order, but maybe ideally in that order. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, is it is it the same? Not necessarily, but I think that, um, I mean, it's certainly not the same. You know, we can't celebrate the sacrament, um, which is our, our primary Sunday gathering really anymore, or at least most of us can't. Um, so it's it's decidedly very different, but I think it is a distortion of the liturgical movement and the parish communion movement and associated parishes and everything that everyone has worked toward to say it's somehow not worship just because we can't celebrate the Eucharist. And I don't mean to minimize that, you know, like the the, the forced fasting from the Eucharist is no small thing to the church no small thing at all mm-hmm. but it, but boy howdy have we lost the thread if we think that's the that's the only way the church can ever praise or worship god yeah and it wasn't so much the 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 sacrament question although no maybe maybe it is partially the sacraments question I mean, I think it's, I think they're tied up together and that's, that's, that's why I sort of went there is just because I've seen some people equate sacraments and worship and well, well, and, and I'll be honest cause I started to go there too. Um, and, and I found myself reaching for the, um, catechism in the, in the back of the prayer book because I thought maybe that's the best place I have to sort of define what worship is. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at least, uh, at least in a sort of Reader's Digest version. <laughs> right. You didn't go to Webster's first. <laughs> um, and and we're already kind of at a loss because it says, "What is corporate worship?" This is page eight hundred fifty-seven. Mm-hmm. What is corporate worship? Well, already that term right there, like corporate. What does that mean in this context? You know, what's what's considered corporate? Are we together or are we not? Um, by electronic means. Um, anyway, in corporate worship, we unite ourselves with others to acknowledge the holiness of God, to hear God's word, to offer prayer, and to celebrate the sacraments. So it's sort of the beginning and the end of that that I have trouble with. Um, in, cor- in corporate worship, I, I don't know what that is right now. 
Yeah. Um, I think we need to, I think we need to work on that. We, but, but the re- the rest of it, the middle of it is fine. I think we unite ourselves Our, all right, fine. We're uniting ourselves as best we can. And maybe that's all we can ask for to mm-hmm. acknowledge the holiness of God. Yeah. I think we're doing that to hear yeah. God's word. We're definitely doing that to offer prayer. We're definitely doing that. And to celebrate the sacraments. We're definitely not doing that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're not celebrating the sacraments in the traditional sense. Right. I think, <laughs> yeah, there, that's a heck of a qualifier. Um, you know, so one of the things that I think most people have been doing is praying the daily office or some of the daily offices a lot more frequently maybe than they're used to. Mm-hmm. Um, which means a prayer of John Chrysostom has, has probably gotten a good bit more play than usual. And I've been, th- I, 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 like, I've thought about it, obviously, plenty before, um, but I've been thinking about it in, in, in a lot new ways ever since uh, ever since we haven't been able to physically gather, um, because it says, you know, I mean, it's quoting scripture, obviously, but at the end of at the end of basically every morning prayer and evening prayer, we have the option to pray this prayer that says, "You have promised through your well beloved Son that when two or three are gathered together in His name, you will be in the midst of them." Mm-hmm. And you know, I think it is a very I think it's just a very, I, 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 I want to draw a fine line, okay? I'm obviously not arguing for virtual consecration or virtual sacraments because we are not gathered bodily in the same sense as I think it's important for us to affirm when we gather to celebrate the sacraments. The yeah. sacraments have to do with our bodies yeah. um, in a very fundamental way. And yet... Are we are two or three gathered when we when we gather online? I think I I don't know how to argue no. You know, I mean, like I I understand that that it's not the same as gathering bodily, but if we are if we are a community gathered together in order to praise God's name, is Christ not present in some way, not sacramentally? I think we need to draw that distinction, sure. But is Christ not present with us when we gather on Zoom or on Facebook Live, um, even if we're even if we're not physically gathered? Yeah. Well, and it seems to me in general, yes. I mean, I think if you're praying, if you're praying the daily office on Zoom, and people are joining you in that moment. I think that's definitely a yes, as far as I'm concerned. You're gathered in in a pretty real sense, and you're right not not physically, but you are you are gathered around that liturgy, right? Um, so I guess the question I would have, and and I don't, I mean, I think the numbers are lower, but I think there's still some numbers uh, represented here is um, the people who then watch a recording of that Zoom morning prayer, evening prayer, whatever it is, at a later time. Mm-hmm. It probably matters. It probably doesn't really make a huge difference. But, um, I mean, I, I, but, I, but this is kind of what interests me about this. Maybe it does make a difference. Um, because there again, it's, it's the idea of participating in the liturgy at the time that it's offered. So if you, if you show up late to that zoom call, you know, then you're already joining it during the Psalms. Like there's a sort of consequence there of you, of you showing up late to the liturgy. But if you, if you can just dial up the liturgy on demand and pause it at any time, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) because there, there was some of this going on before and I don't want to say that people weren't praying the, the office, but that's not the question here. The question is about, praying the office together and about gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't really know how to parse that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I mean, the, the, the answers that I jump to or the, or the ways of sort of constructing an answer really rely heavily upon theology, right? Mm-hmm. If we, if we believe, um, I, I, again, 
sacraments are, are different. Sacraments are bodily actions, are physical, mm-hmm. um, are grounded in physical reality. So I, I think we need to, and are right to, draw a firm distinction between celebrating the sacraments and worshiping. But if we're talking about worship, if we're talking about declaring praise and worth of God, the worthiness of God, um, God is eternal. God is timeless. God is outside time. So why does it matter if I'm doing this five minutes or 30 minutes or an hour later, if God's seeing it all at the same moment? That's a good question. And and by way of answer, I can only give you back the words of the catechism uh-huh. um, that says, what is the duty of all Christians? This is page 856. Mm-hmm. And it includes among that to come together week by week for corporate worship. Mm-hmm. And then for corporate worship, there's that question about corporate worship again. So it, it doesn't matter except that we are called to worship together. Yeah. And so I'm, and, you know, and I don't I don't mean to make the argument that it doesn't matter at all. But if someone isn't able to be there for the entirety of it, like how 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 literal do we want to get with the parable of the laborers in the vineyard? You know? Like mm-hmm. if someone shows up for the last 5 minutes of morning prayer, haven't they haven't they participated just as fully in a sense. Well, sure. But I mean, I mean, I guess that's my, that's my trouble with all this. Uh huh. Um, because I mean, I know, I know things like this were, have been offered before, but now it just seems like, um, so much of this stuff is filmed and, and kind of available on demand. Uh huh. Um, I wonder about, I wonder about the consequence of normalizing that just almost across the entire church. Yeah. And I, I sort of wish that, you know, in terms of our theology of corporate worship, and I guess I need to speak about it in those terms. Mm-hmm. What if we committed to saying, yes, we will pray the office, but we will only pray it at 8 a.m. And if you miss it, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> because, because especially as far as the daily office is concerned, right? Like there's no harm in praying that by yourself. Um, right. That's definitely prayer. That's definitely worship. But we're, mm-hmm. what we're talking about here is corporate worship. So if yeah. we want if we want to train people into sort of a new reality um, that's temporary to a degree, I don't think we really know yet how long this will go on. Right. But might it be worth looking at, at least for the offices, to just say, yeah, we will gather corporately to do this at such and such time and make an intentional technological decision to say it's only available in real time and once it's over, it's ended. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't want to say no. Um, I don't think that there's anything wrong with taking that attitude and, and sort of saying we are going to draw this distinction between corporate and individual worship. But I also, I also don't necessarily have, personally have a problem with saying join your prayers to ours at a later point in time. Um, well, so let me ask you as, as a priest who's leading these services, uh-huh. ha- have you in any way made that distinction or has it, 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 it doesn't really seem worth it probably. Well, no, I mean, because I want it to be as widely available as possible. Um, and, and, that, and, and that, that makes sense to me. I mean, you're going through the trouble of doing this. You're going through the trouble of recording it. Why wouldn't you want to make this as available as you can? Well, it's, I mean, it's less about that and more about the fact that we are at a time where I think people are more, more in need of prayer than, than at least for us, right? In our context, in, in sort of the places where we are, I think a lot of folks going through this are more in need of prayer than they've maybe ever been or or then maybe a few other really serious instances in their lives and so especially because it's not sacramental worship we're not saying this needs to take place in uh, this specific set of circumstances because of that i'm perfectly willing to say to people use this and pray along with us at a later date. I mean, like to me, that's no different than having a morning prayer podcast that people listen to and pray along with on their drive to work. 
uh, right. which the, the which only difference already that, existed. Right, exactly right. The only difference being that you are now the one providing it rather than you right. know, some, some other kind of centralized service. Right. And, or, and, um, and, and really, I just want to make people feel like they have as many different ways to pray, as many different ways to recognize and rely upon and trust in God as possible. Um, because, because to me, that's what's that, I, that's more important than saying, than, than drawing a firm line. And I don't mean to, again, I don't mean this to judge anyone who says our corporate worship is going to be different and it's mm-hmm. going to be offered at certain times and that's it. And we want everyone to participate, but if you can't participate with us, then you're more than welcome to pray this on your own. There's right. as far as I'm concerned, absolutely nothing wrong with that decision. If it's right for your context. Well, I, I'm just having a hard time imagining who that would be right for. I mean, that's a really, uh, I'm not convinced of that argument. So I uh-huh. think it's, a, I think it's a really hard thing to convince people to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, for instance, I consider the amount of work that we put into our Easter day, um, video recording. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you could call it a worship service. I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> But but to, to then try to say to the powers that be, well, I, I know that we've I know that we've spent we've poured our our heart our our blood sweat and tears into into getting this thing ready, but I want to tell you that I feel strongly this should air only at ten thirty and then should never be available again. Yeah, you know that that's no one's gonna no one's gonna follow that. Like right. If you go through the trouble of of making that thing, and, and so this is the theological problem that I have. Uh, that I think we want to use that word incarnational with worship, right? That something exists um, when we gather. So if if yeah. that's if that's only partially true, or if it doesn't matter if you gather, yeah, it doesn't matter if you watch this or not. The video is still going to be there. That's a very kind of postmodern Pandora's box that we've now opened with with our uh, liturgical history. I, I feel like that box was already there though. Um, and I think that it, it I think was, that it was to a degree, but it's now so widespread because of the situation we're in that almost every place is making some kind of Sunday morning video offering available, whether or not anyone's there to watch it in real time. Yeah. And again, I, I think, um, I, I mean, I, the, the, to me, and I'm probably going to take heat for saying this, but to me, I want to suggest that the that the main aspects, the main incarnational aspects to our worship are are around the sacraments themselves. That those are the ones that are truly incarnational and and in some ways not repeatable. And yet, even in those, uh, you know, even in our Eucharistic worship, part of the Sanctus is us joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven and with everyone else who's celebrating the Eucharist across time, uh, across space, certainly, but also across time. Um, because if the angels are doing it in eternity, um, then us joining with them is in some ways already transcending the boundaries that we the temporal boundaries that we would construct around it now i don't want to again i don't want to go too far down that road because i do think the sacraments themselves are incarnational and heavily so and rightly so but i think that when we're talking about the daily office when we're talking about some of the other uh, uh even really strongly traditional prayers like is it less even song if you listen to a recording of king's college um is it if you listen to that is that not taking part in even song i i don't know this is a really interesting question to ask me personally because so much of my life before this moment has been taken up with listening to recordings of services mm-hmm. and I, I i love that i find that edifying there are very very few moments during which i've i've undertaken that listening and by and large it's been uh, audio only and not not video. Mm-hmm. Very very few moments in that that I felt that I've truly been worshiping. Mm-hmm. And I don't. That's probably me speaking more as a musician that I'm listening to that for sort of liturgical rhythms and liturgical mm-hmm. resonances. And I'm also of course listening to the music itself. And it feels worshipful in a way, but I don't know that I would qualify that as worship necessarily. 
mm-hmm. that that's very different. That's a very different feeling um, and impression that I have uh, from when I choose to go to a church that's offering even song in an, in an afternoon. Mm-hmm. And I go there and I enter the doors and I pray before the service and I pray the service and then I leave. I understood. Um, but then is the, it, does this, I mean, if we're talking about temporal restrictions, right? Mm-hmm. Is it different if you're listening to it live, broadcast live rather than a recording? Well, I mean, as, as a matter of fact, yeah. I mean, so if I had to point out those moments where I have felt that I'm truly worshiping, Mm-hmm. Um, it has been the live moments. Uh, yeah. One of the most ecstatic for me is is Christmas Eve morning, where mm-hmm. I know that I'm listening live to a service happening in England mm-hmm. at King's at King's College, like you mentioned. Um, I can think of one or two other services that um, I've been fortunate to listen to live, uh, and and those have felt, you know, I, I know that I'm not physically present there, but mm-hmm. I know that I know that what I'm hearing is happening at that moment, and that. So maybe, you know, it's all in my head to a degree. <laughs> Sometimes it's literally in my head because I'm listening with, with headphones. But, right. um, but that's, that really is the sensation I have. Maybe that's why I'm stuck on it. So I don't know. I, 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 this is probably far enough with this, this argument. It probably feels like we're beating a dead horse <laughs> at a moment. But, but I, guess, I guess what I'm lo- really looking for is a sort of theological justification for the grief that I feel personally over the loss of Sunday morning. And, and maybe part of that is fear, that I'm afraid that if we can't name what it is theologically that's important about Sunday morning, as opposed to this virtual stuff that we're doing, that there will be some kind of loss that we feel when we're able to go back to Sunday morning. But something, something we really haven't touched very much on is the sacraments. So maybe that's the, maybe that's the element there that really is, is the way into this. I think you're right to raise these questions. I think that we have to ask these questions because the truth is, uh, if we if we aren't careful, if we if we just assume things, then we're all going to assume different things. So there are going to be people who assume, well, now that we've done this, we can always do this. Uh, I mean, speaking for myself, I, 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 I am not physically capable of doing in-person Holy Week services and the Holy Week that we've had to do to make it available for people. Like, I just, there aren't enough hours in the year, really. Um, so, so like, there, there is some sense in which what we're doing can't continue with what we've always done. Exactly. So, so say more about that. Are you saying that all the daily office services and the liturgies of the day, et cetera, you would not be able to do that if you were kind of functioning normally in your church building? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be able to do, I mean, part of what I've been, what I've done uh, in terms of providing more opportunities for prayer is because I don't have as many other responsibilities that 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 occupy the rest of my time you know i can't go on visits i can't um you know i'm i'm not you know we we're down to one main service on sunday mornings because most everybody's around and it doesn't it did, didn't seem to make a great deal of sense to do two separate services um so like a lot of what i do is because I have the time now, you know, mm-hmm. but especially for Holy Week, you know, we did a video vigil where I edited everything together myself because I'm the only paid staff person or paid full-time staff person and the only person who could really manage to do it. Um, and, and not for a second. I mean, it was, it was the right decision and I'm glad that it went the way that it did, but there is no earthly way that I would be able to do that. And, plan the regular liturgies of Holy Week if we were able to gather and do an actual vigil. Like, it's just not possible. Right, right, right. No, I, I don't think, I don't, well, I certainly wouldn't expect that to be the reality, but I guess the, the thing that I would expect is that someone would say, oh, well, when we return to the Easter vigil, is there a way to film that and broadcast that live? And of course, the Easter yeah. vigil is probably one of the hardest things to film. <laughs> right, exactly. Because it's, I mean... It, I've never been anywhere that has it all in one place where you could have a stationary camera, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, there's, there's too many moving parts, et cetera. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
like that's the thing is I think that we have to be honest about the fact that some of what we're doing has to be by ver- by just by its very nature has to be temporary. Like we can't do we can't do everything we used to do and everything that we're now doing. Like they're not necessarily um, both sustainable. But at the same time, is there a way we can take some of what we've done? and provide some opportunities for, say, online prayer throughout the week that wasn't a part of our regular rhythm of, of worship, but that we could make a part of our regular rhythm going forward so that we are reaching people in, in more and newer ways uh, than, than maybe we used to. We haven't talked about music or sacraments, really. But that's that's part of the heartbreak, I think, in all of this, is that music is, is, is effectively... Uh, it's nearly silenced. I mean, the kinds of things that we yeah. are now doing with multiple voices takes so much more work and planning and technology than it otherwise would. Yeah. And we're sort of learning the particularities of... Um, we're sort of re- appreciating for the first time, you know how much making music together really requires uh, attention to very small details. Yeah. Um, you know, tuning, yeah. breathing, rhythmical precision, blend, balance, all of these things. Um, very difficult to achieve over electronic means. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the really nice things about um, the virtual choir that the Episcopal Church produced, they had a very large volume of contributions to that project. Mm-hmm. So I think I think I read that it was about 600 individuals and 800 files of music that were submitted. Yeah. So I think that means that people were some people were singing multiple parts on separate mm-hmm. takes, or they were um, singing one part and then playing an instrument for another part. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is I think you had enough sort of acoustical data there <laughs> that you could produce drown some. out somebody who is. Well, I mean, not not that really. Just you, no, you could no. you could create something that sounded impressive. I mean, you could yeah. create a sort of massed choir, sort of sounding thing. And it and it's not even about you know who has uh, the best vocal technique. It's also about well, this person recorded right next to the refrigerator, so right, right. that take that take is kind of a loss. You know, you know how that goes. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I mean, I. I uh, it, it's it's occurred to me a few times throughout this conversation that the 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 losses i mean there is loss there is grief that's undeniable but the loss and the grief that you feel is at least slightly different from the loss and the grief that i feel um and and it's and it has everything to do with sort of the way that our the, the way that our spirituality has played out, the way that our, our religious life has played out, because my vocation is sacramental ministry and yours is musical ministry. Um, and so the loss of music is going to be, I mean, I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, not necessarily a greater loss than uh, the loss of being able to receive the sacrament regularly. But it's certainly it's certainly going to hit you a lot differently than it does me, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's the thing is there are there are any number of sort of constellations to what Sunday morning worship or communal worship in general means to the average parishioner or the average congregant in an Episcopal church. And for some, it's music. For some, it's the sacrament. For some, it might be community. For some, it might be any number of things. But what we're what we're losing is is virtually all of those. And we're trying to cobble something together that's as close an approximation as we can manage. Right. But everyone is everyone is grieving that loss. Right. So or the, is grieving a loss, maybe not the same loss, uh, or maybe not identical losses, but everyone is grieving the loss of something from this. Right. 
So um, one thing that I've noticed is that a, a lot of these videos seem to have the same approach whenever whenever the can um, broadcasts a slideshow of sort of familiar faces and familiar, familiar places. That's yeah. what they do. And I think, you know, that's that's the closest we can get to sort of creating that community is by by reminding people that that community exists. Yeah. Saying this is what we look like. This is what we used to look like. Yeah, and I think that's what's what's led so many people to embrace Zoom in a way that, like, you you know, t- three months ago, if you had said people are going to be worshiping together on uh, on teleconferencing software, mm-hmm. we like we would have laughed at that, you know. But but part of it is the fact that we actually get to participate to some degree. We actually get to see each other to some degree and feel like we are gathered in some mm-hmm. sense that doesn't that you don't get from watching a video. Yeah. That's that is interesting and I don't want to I don't want to re- reopen this can of worms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know being in the same virtual room with people in the liturgy mm-hmm. I think it it probably it probably is is gratifying not only to you as the celebrant but also to every single person who shows up to that room and sees themselves as part Absol- of that community on screen. Absolutely. No, yeah. I think that's absolutely right. And I yeah. think that's why you have people who like if you hit, I mean, there are plenty of parishioners, um, and I don't want to single anyone out, but there are plenty of parishioners who who have very very little technical expertise with computers, who are on Zoom, if you'll pardon the pun, religiously, for most uh, most worship offerings or at least the regular worship offerings that I've had, and it's because this is so important and because that it really does feel like a like more of a connection like more of a gathering mm-hmm. in order to worship than than does being able to wa- watch a video right but let's let's do get into the sacraments um a little bit okay because just right off the bat i have not heard anyone offer a replacement for baptism right or um, a, vir- a virtual solution i guess i should say yeah I mean, I th- and part of that is, I think, because there, we already have, circum- I, I mean, we already have uh, it, it sort of a, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? We already have the opportunity for emergency baptism. We already have provisions for that um, in the prayer book and in our, in our liturgical life. So, so right can, now, at least, the feeling is, if baptism can wait, there's no reason why it can't wait. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think but, that's the. I think that's where most people are at. But we don't seem to. We don't quite see that same willingness to wait for something that most people experience weekly, mm-hmm. which is which is communion. Um, we see different approaches to the Eucharist. Yeah, and I mean, I, there, and it has everything to do with the w- the way that we've reclaimed the centrality of the eucharist in, in a way that uh, that in some cases may even have been overzealous yeah like over the top i mean it, i mean i hesitate to say that because because the eucharist is so vitally important and is uh is i think what the church is meant to do when it gathers to worship Mm-hmm. Um, at least, at least regularly. But are we? I, I mean, are we willing to say that generations of Episcopalians were somehow less faithful because they only observed Eucharist periodically? I'm not comfortable doing that. Um, I think we're right to reclaim the centrality of the Eucharist, but especially in, under circumstances where we can't legitimately celebrate the Eucharist, we shouldn't try and find. I don't think we should try and find ways of of skirting the rules in order to provide that to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we can. I think that we can do. We can go without. I think that we can fast from it for for at least a period of time, uh, and still be faithful.
the most prevalent things I've seen is this reclamation of the idea of spiritual communion. Mm-hmm. And that's been accessed in different ways. Um, in some places you see um, a full Eucharistic celebration on camera. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, after the, after the fraction, you then get um, a sort of prayer of spiritual communion rather than an invitation to communion because that invitation could not be answered. Right. Um, in other places, you don't see bread and wine present, nor mm-hmm. do you see any kind of Eucharistic, concert, Eucharistic prayer. You see um, a, a different liturgy that sort of acknowledges the la- communion's lack, right. um, but, but asks for Jesus to be spiritually present in, in you. Um, yeah. Do you want to, do you want to take over from there? <laughs> uh, he, he, I mean, it's a, it's a third rail, you know, like people, this is one of those places where people get really, really heated. Um, and you have, you have people from both sides who will, who will get very, um, angry about people arguing for the other but but as i understand it the 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 differences really are ones of theology right um and and particularly theologies of orders and theologies of the eucharist is the eucharist something that is is the eucharist an offering is one of the questions that has to be asked in order to figure out your position on this and there are different answers um, especially depending on how Protestant or how Catholic your understandings are. Uh, what is the importance of the priest? Is the priest there to offer on behalf of the people, to make the Eucharistic offering on behalf of the people? Or is the priest simply a representative of the congregation in some way? Um, because the way that you, where you come down on that determines whether you think we should be having spiritual communion or have having spiritual communion with some people actually receiving on camera and everyone else praying this prayer or vice versa. Well, uh, it is, it is really interesting that some people, cause I think at this point for most of us seeing the Eucharist received would be limited to the celebrant alone. Yeah, I mean, I think there are some places where it's more than just the celebrant, um, but it's certainly not a large crowd of people uh, anywhere. At least I, it shouldn't be, right? Uh, right. Hopefully. I mean, in some places it would be the celebrant and his or her nuclear family. At right, most. but I, th- but I think in, I think there are still some places, not in this diocese, and maybe not in in some of the more prominent ones. Uh, where there have been outbreaks, but I think that there are still places that are have, having gatherings of half dozen people mm-hmm. uh, and maintaining distance throughout the nave and then receiving all receiving. I mean, I don't, I don't have. Yeah, the numbers I mean, you, you say maintaining distance and then you say receiving. So how, how does how does that is it sort of launched into someone's hands? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, outside of that part, but like space throughout <laughs> oh, the name. Oh, so, uh, I'm sorry. So, so you mean so you mean not maintaining distance is what right. you mean? Well, yeah. I mean, okay. ultimately, yes. Okay, just just to be clear. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't know why I'm going to be a stickler on that point. But. <laughs> Well, and here's here's the other thing that drives me crazy. Like, this is, again, going to get me in trouble with some people, I'm sure. But uh, there are places that say, well, we had less than 10 people. So, and we and we stayed apart throughout the sanctuary, blah, blah, blah. The reason that they, that they capped gatherings at 10 people was not because 10 is some magic number. The reason they capped, they, they capped it at 10 people is because from a public health perspective... If you get more than that, it becomes impossible to trace all the vectors, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, running down the contacts for a dozen people or more is just not feasible. So, the reason that they limit it to 10 is so that if there is an outbreak in that group of less than 10, it's real easy to track down who those people then contacted. So, if you have six or eight people there, you are in no way guaranteeing the safety of those six or eight people you're just saying it's worth it to risk the health of these six or eight people uh for the sake of what we're doing now you might 
you might decide that Eucharistic celebration is important enough for your community to warrant risking the health of those six to eight individuals, but don't do it thinking that somehow you're, that group of people is immune. We talked about spiritual communion. Yeah, a bit. And and one of the questions, we didn't talk about this, but one of the questions is, w- when you talk about the role of the priest, are they, are they making this offering on behalf of the congregation, or are they just a representative? The reason that that gets asked is, the reason that you need to ask that is, there are some communities who are going to say, a clergy person receiving when no one else can receive is unfair and is clericalist. There are some communities where that's that's the reality and you need to be honest about that. And maybe maybe if that's not your understanding then you need to do significant education around why that's not the case. But but we can't just pretend we can't just say, well then everyone has a wrong understanding and and plow ahead and do what we want to do. Like you need to understand the ways as a clergy person, you need to understand the ways that you're doing things and the ways that those are going to be perceived. And for some places, particularly that are Anglo Catholic, they're going to have no problem whatsoever with a cleric making, you know, celebrating Eucharist more or less alone um, and receiving in some, in some sense on behalf of the entire congregation. There are some congregations that that's going to make absolute sense to them, but there are others that are going to see that and say, why does that cleric get to receive Eucharist and I have to go without for who knows how long? Right. Where do you come down on, on that side of things? I think, I mean, I, I don't think I'm in a parish that has an, that has a Catholic enough understanding of the Eucharist for me to feel good about about doing that um, but but if you were would it be your preference to continue more or less a private celebration of the mass no it w- i mean it wouldn't be but if i were in a place where that was absolutely the, under- the understanding then i i would consider doing it um i wouldn't necessarily feel great about it but but you know part one of the prayers of spiritual communion is uh i forget the wording exactly but it's it, it, you know makes reference to those communities where the Eucharist is now being celebrated. Mm-hmm. I think there is some sense in which we, the church, need to ensure that the Eucharist is is still being celebrated somewhere. Um, we, we I don't think I don't think we, as the entire church, should abandon Eucharistic celebration in its entirety. Um, but I don't think that means every single community needs, every single congregation or parish or mission needs someone celebrating Eucharist on their behalf. I think it means that we, as, say, a diocese, need to ensure that Eucharistic st- celebration is still occurring. Um, and, and that's still kind of a modern perspective, right? Because a hundred some years ago, there probably would not have been that same emphasis on. I'm assuming you mean a weekly time frame, more or less. Well, no, not necessarily. But I don't think, especially given the indefiniteness of this this sort of unintended Eucharistic fast, mm-hmm. I don't think we should just suspend all Eucharistic worship uh, in its entirety with no end date. You know, even if we want to say once a month or once a however, I, you know, I, even if we want to go to whatever historic standard we're looking at, I think we need to say, I think it's, I think it's worthwhile for the church to say, we are going to ensure that the Eucharist is going to be celebrated on behalf of the church universal, whatever, periodically, whatever that looks like. 
Very good. That's just me, though. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of All Things Right and Musical. If you've enjoyed this episode about the state of worship as of April 2020, we hope you'll tell us about it. You can find us on the web at writeandmusical.org. That's spelled R-I-T-E and musical dot org. You can always send us an email at writeandmusical at gmail.com. A special thanks to our generous patrons who support this show on Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.